It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. Some people think they're just a vestige of a bygone era, but they're not. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it, just as we are ready for many other dangers that are around us all the time. In fact, nuclear weapons remain the everlasting threat they were when we first introduced them to planet Earth. An existential nightmare wherein we possess the ability to obliterate our own planet many times over with the push of a button. Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. So this week, we have friend of the show and motherboard contributor Matthew Galt to talk nukes. America's arsenal is being updated. Russia has probably some crazy new missiles. And why since the Cold War have we collectively decided to forget about nukes? It's not like they've gone anywhere. I'm Ben Maku, reporting from my kitchen, and you're listening to Cyber. Mr. Galt, thank you for coming on the show. You hosted an episode of Cyber one time. It was quite good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Love Cyber, love to be back on. Love to be in the, uh, the other side of the mic. The hot seat. The hot seat. <laughs> Talking about the hottest thing there is, nuclear weapons. Yeah, exactly. So, I, look, other than uh, UFOs, this is also one of my, my, my pet subjects that I love to talk about. Because it, it's something that I think we collectively have forgotten about as a society. I think even just largely around the world we've forgotten about it to some extent. And you happen to be quite, quite an expert in it or someone who's reported on it, who's interested in it, knows a lot about it. And I wanted to talk about it because I think we need to sort of raise awareness again that this is something that exists in the world, especially as we look at, I mean, we just had an anniversary from the Hiroshima bombings. And I think that, you know, it's time to, to think about it again. And more importantly, one thing we know is that recently the American nuclear arsenal was running on floppy disks. And I know there's been a, a sort of concerted effort to modernize our arsenal and take them online in a safe way, so to speak. So why don't you just talk to me, take me through this modernization plan for American nuclear weapons. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to make sure that we, we understand that it's not just that they were running on floppy disks. Um, there are also a lot of problems with a lot of the personnel that are operating like the ICBM silos, the, you know, the intercontinental ballistic missile silos, uh, where they were, they have tests that they're supposed to perform on to make sure that they're ready for the job. Some people were cheating on the tests, um, got reports of drug use in the silos. Um, to be fair, it's a pretty boring job most of the time, except for like the one minute that it is a terrifying job. But so there's a lot going on with modernization, right? And it was something that we were talking about before the Trump administration kind of started in the Obama administration. Um, and it is a top to bottom, like refurb, repurchase um, expansion and refurb, I think is the good word of America's nukes, essentially. Um, so when, when you're looking at America's nukes, you've got to think of the triad 
Um, very specifically, America has like three ways that it would launch a nuclear weapon. Uh, dropped off from a bomber, launched from a missile silo in the middle of the country, or shot from a submarine. Okay. And so what they're looking at is spending um, something like estimates are $50 billion a year through the 2030s to rebuild some of the old Minutemen 3 missiles, which are in the silos, and the Tridents, which are in the uh, submarines, um, building a couple new submarines to replace the old submarines that are on their last legs, taking the old warheads and refurbishing them, making sure that they work, um, doing, you know, putting in new computers, modernizing the, the command and control systems, which are like basically the way that everything communicates to each other. It's all the different computers. That's what you, when we talk about uh, the nukes running on floppy disks, that's what we're talking about. This very old technology that just hasn't been updated um, again, because most people just kind of don't think about nuclear weapons anymore, right? And also, they are talking about going into do management changes and improve what they call ethical lapses, um, which would be addressing the service members that are, you know, dropping LSD in the ICBM bunkers and cheating on their tests. So, I mean, what, how, to what extent are these things? I mean, this is something a question I've gotten before, and I never have a very good answer for it. But many people will ask could you hack a nuclear weapon? Now, I would say that doesn't sound something that would be very easy to do, but to what extent are they actually online or, or within a, you know, a cyber infrastructure? It's almost entirely intranet, right? So it's these closed systems right now. Um, I think it would be very hard in the United States to actually like hack a nuclear weapon. Um, and that's kind of like that. The, the other problem is that it's one of these questions that people ask. And because of the secret nature of a lot of these systems, we don't have super good answers on um, <laughs> but what but what we are told. And from what we can see that most of the systems are closed, uh, no one is so I mean, no one is yet super proposing that we bring a lot of these things uh, like online and like touch them into the greater internet. Obviously, there's discussions in places like the Rand Corporation about doing bizarre things like um, letting artificial intelligence and machine learning systems kind of like take over command and control. Uh, but <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a Rand study uh, talking about a Rand like, study did that. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, of course, of course, Iran study did it. Who else is going to publish that kind of wacky material, right? Well, like, like they haven't done enough villainous uh, investigations <laughs> already in American right. history. The Rand Corporation, for anyone that doesn't know, is like an old school DC think tank that is responsible, I would say, for a lot of the way America's foreign policy thinkers uh, think about nuclear weapons and. Uh, why we have the system that we have, which is basically like you've got these countries that have a whole lot of nukes um, and everyone kind of understands that if one is launched, all of them are going to get launched and it's the end of the world. That's kind of yes. the way the system is designed. And I would also, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. Also, also famously the, the, the think tank that investigated the cost effectiveness of the Vietnam war. Yes. Oh, yeah, of course. And we're, yeah, a huge part of the Pentagon Papers, right? Um, 
No, but I think you nailed it. Like, if you look at a lot of vile things that have happened in American foreign policy and uh, around the Pentagon, you can usually find Rand fingerprints on it somewhere in the background. And nukes is definitely at the top of the list. Um, so, of course, they would be the people that would say, like, hey, event like, what if we gave control of command and control in the nukes over to an AI system and it decided when and if to launch nuclear weapons, right? Uh, and they kind of gamed this out and asked a bunch of different experts. Um, this was like, I think a year or two back that study was published. I, you know, I hate, I hate to bring it up already, but like that's some literal Skynet shit. It is. It is some literal Skynet shit. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, I think most people on the surface like would look at it and say like, that's a, a terrible idea. Um, but the military in general has been looking at artificial intelligence and trying to figure out like what to define it as and how to use it. We're in this kind of weird blue sky space, almost like the early dot com bubble with AI, where we're we're kind of we think that it can do everything because we we haven't defined hard limits for it and we don't really know like what the technology is going to be in the near future. Um, so I think we're going to just see a lot of like weird stuff like that. You know. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Silicon Valley, how we all thought like 10 years ago that it was going to ch like change the world and solve all of its problems, but it's basically just enslaved us. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't like, AI is really good at, from what I understand, AI and machine learning are really good at solving like a couple of predetermined problems, but, you know, they're, it's just a different method of computing. Um, and we're we're very obsessed with, thinking it of as like a replacement or an augmentation of human uh, cognition. And I don't think it's going to be that. No. And I think this might be the last thing we'd want to be in control, especially at the, the point in which it is it being control of the most, the most psychotic existential threat we've ever produced on planet earth. Right. I mean, literally it's the plot of war games. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it like is. One it's of literally the, the part of war games. Shall we play a game? Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. One of the big anti-nuclear scare stories and uh, at every point in human history that we have come close to nuclear war, we have been saved by brave, frightened people somewhere in the command and control structure, structure saying like, hey, you know what? Um, maybe this radar reading is wrong and the nukes aren't coming and we should hold off. Or, you know what? I'm going to disobey this command and maybe we shouldn't launch this weapon. Uh, right. It's it's always that it's always one person. It's always a human being in the chain making the decision to not do something that saves us. It is all in the machines have always been at fault. It, absolutely. It's like it's the difference between, you know, most of the top administration, the Kennedy administration saying, let's 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 bomb the Russians. Let's do it. Curtis LeMay. Yes. Yeah. Most psychotic, you know, war fighter in almost American history saying, let's do it. And literally a couple brothers from Boston were like, I think possibly this is a bad idea. <laughs> maybe let's not do this, right? Let's maybe not do this. You know, and I think yeah. that that's the thing is it, that's, 
it is human compassion to some extent or self-preservation that has stopped us from, from, from engaging in something like this. I mean, it is one thing when you, you're discussing nuclear warheads that, or just nuclear weapons in general, that is an interesting thing to consider is that every single time there's been a massive advancement in human weaponry, it almost rarely stays shelved. And the fact that it was only used twice on human populations is, is quite striking. Yeah, it's really, it's, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because there's been kind of these dueling uh, op-eds on, sort of on the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, August 6th and August 9th. Um, I've seen, I saw this a Washington Post article come out, an op-ed that was like, hey, nuclear weapons are good. Uh, um, <clears throat> basically, they've created, a, they've created a world where no one wants to go to war anymore because they know it'll be the last war that's ever fought. Um, and then Alex Wellerstein and some other, uh, another gentleman wrote, uh, a rebuttal to that saying like, no, the only reason there hasn't been nuclear Armageddon is because we've been incredibly lucky. Um, and I think that's more accurate, but there's this weird idea in the air that we're much safer with nuclear weapons. Um, I would argue it has merely changed the nature of war. Uh, it has not stopped war. Um, it is kind of shifted it into proxy battles, but that's a whole other tangent conversation. Um, I, I, I agree with you, but I also think the, the existential threat has not diminished. And yet our, I mean, we're much more concerned about like cyber pro harbors and, and, you know, terrorist attacks when really like the ultimate human tragedy that we've already been in possession of is still lingering. I think it's because I think it's so big it's so big that our brain shuts down. Mm -hmm. It's right. kind of like that we, idea that we can't really quantify a billion. Like we don't really understand yeah. that number. We don't really understand it. We don't understand like what the actual devastation of nuclear weapons are. Right. Um, as we talk about second strike and we is like you, people have to understand that the way the system is set up and like, I think some younger people may not like quite grasp this. But anyone who was born like in the 80s or lived through the Cold War, like this cause it was kind of drilled into people's heads for for decades. Like the way this system works on paper is that if a nuclear launch is detected, um, there are people like the president or uh, whoever's in charge of Russia, the president of Russia will make decisions very quickly about what they think that one that nuclear weapon means. And then just kind of everything gets launched. Uh, we're talking, you know, hundreds of warheads, yep. total devastation. So the idea is don't ever launch one because if one gets launched, um, it's, it's into the world stuff, right? And this is a sword of Damocles that has been dangling over our head for literally decades, and it hasn't gone away. The number of warheads is drastically reduced, right? It, like 1986, when it was at its highest, it was 70,000. It's now around 14,000. Not all of those are deployed, but they're, they exist. Most of them belong to Russia and the U.S. Um, that's still more than enough to destroy the world many times over, right? Well, that's uh, the thing is like when people say it's like 70,000 to 14,000, it's like, I mean, 14,000 will do the job just fine. Yeah, it's still enough to destroy the world, <laughs> you know? Like what is it like? Wasn't it, would it be like 20 and it's nuclear winter? Yeah, uh, it depends on who you talk to, but around, yeah, around then, you know? Uh, because enough of these things can throw enough particulate matter into the air to completely change, uh, to to completely change the environment, right? Um, and there's just so much unknown too. Like we've only dropped 
two of these, and the the ones we have now, most of them are significantly more powerful than uh, Fat Man and Little Boy. Uh, significantly, S- significantly, more powerful. Yeah. that's the thing. Like, people forget about that. Like thousands of times more powerful. Yeah, thousands of times more powerful. Like uh, there's geometric scale that gets involved. That, that you know, I don't want to break down math too much, but yeah, like you don't have very you don't have to have very many of these go off to really affect life on earth permanently for a long time, if not forever. Right. At least least for, for the existence of humanity. Yeah. And that's setting aside the immediate death uh, of anybody that's in the blast zone. And then the secondary effects of like anyone that happens to survive the immediate blast, but is in, in the radiation zone and like watching America's response to the COVID epidemic. I just, I, Think about how horrifying it would be for a nuclear weapon, even one, to go off here uh, and huh. what our response would be. And I'm not uh, not hopeful. Wow, right? that is interesting. I have not equated that whatsoever. You probably should write that. That's I've been I've that's ha- that's fascinating because I have not. I thought about it more as like America's potential to go to war with itself, but. I mean, I think like a disaster, like a nuclear strike in America and, and the way we've dealt with COVID is really, I mean, that's a striking thing. That's a, re, that's a true, that's a very good point. I, I will say I've done the interviews and I'm working on that. <laughs> so good. That is, All right. That is well, thing everyone happening. listening, just look, look out for it. That's good. I mean, that's something that's, because it, it does sort of show you, I mean, look, I, I know you are far more than I am, but I'm, I'm a bit of a nuke nerd in many ways. And you think about the blast zone, but then you also think about weather patterns and like where this shit ends up. You know, you, you talk to people who both, I have family in Europe, both people who experienced Chernobyl in, in actual USSR, in, 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 for lack of a better term, around the blast side of it, mm-hmm. within that, you know, within only hundreds of miles of it. And you get a very interesting perspective on what that did to people in the area and the fear that it, it created for decades. And then you also get the people from other parts of Europe that had very weird weather patterns and there's been very weird cancer epidemics. And this is not a conspiracy, this is a real thing. And you're like, that was not even an explosion. This was a spill. Well, I would call, I would say, Chernobyl was a kind of explosion. Uh, it was but, a kind of explosion, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's not. Uh, it was not a weapon, right? It was not a weapon, and it was only one, right? Yeah. And like you said, like this, the idea of the usage of nuclear weapons in a tactic or a, an offensive way by any country would necessitate a domino effect of more of them going off. General, it is the avowed policy of our country never to strike first with nuclear weapons. Well, Mr. President, I would, I would say that General Ripper has already invalidated that policy. <laughs> that was not an act of national policy, and there are still alternatives left open to us. Mr. President, we are rapidly approaching a moment of truth, both for ourselves as human beings and for the life of our nation. Now, truth is not always a pleasant thing, but it is necessary now to make a choice, to choose between two admittedly regrettable, but nevertheless distinguishable post-war environments. One, where you got 20 million people killed, and the other, where you got 150 million people killed. You're talking about mass murder, General, not war. Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair mussed, 
but I do say no more than 10 to 20 million killed tops, uh, depending on the breaks. Yeah, it would require, like, again, it would, if one person launches one, it would require other people to stay their hand. And we have built systems to make, to make the response fast and efficient. Yes. Uh, the idea being that, like, once one is launched, we have to be able to, there has to be the credible threat of completely wiping you out, right? Absolutely. Um, we've we've it's this bizarre calculation we came up with after the cold war this this old stupid game theory stuff where um <laughs> you won't mess with us geopolitically too much if we feel if we have the ability you know it's to mutually destroy you mutually assured destruction right um, yes is what it's called uh, and Precisely. it still exists we still we still live in that we just don't think about it and it's getting more dangerous because all of the old nuclear treaties uh, that we had that have done things like reduce the amount of uh, warheads from 70,000 down to around 14 are, are dying off. Um, They're dying off. And also, I think I would suggest that the whole I mean, at one point it was you had two superpowers that would sort of mutually debate whether or not to go and destroy each other's entire existence and the world with mm -hmm. it. So it's just, you know, you're dealing with two two different I mean, for, for lack of a better way of looking at it, two different people, right? It's like two entities versus now you see the disintegration of the American empire and you see sort of this, this, this emergence of multi-regional powers around yep. the world. And something like that is potentially much more dangerous, especially when those, those, those regional powers all possess nuclear warheads. Those are, those are multiply that, the chances of one going off way far more than we did before, right? Like it was sort of the, the introduction of say Pakistan and India both having nuclear weapons was one of the most tumultuous introductions because suddenly you had two countries that had a history of going to brutal war with one another, deep-seated hatreds and right next to each other where they have constant territorial problems. And something like that is, you know, that's why you don't, now you don't have this sort of supreme power like the United States that can go and say, you do that, you're in trouble. Now, you know, no one gives a shit about the U.S. <laughs> or not yeah. nobody, but you know what I mean? It's that, that respect yeah. and that, that fear has gone down significantly. The president spent some time over the weekend thinking about his Iran strategy in the wake of calling off uh, that airstrike la late last week. The president now faces a situation in which he's got to figure out what he wants from the region. In his interview with Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press over the weekend, the president laid out his vision for what an Iran deal could look like. Here's what he said. Their inflation is through the roof. They've never had the highest in the world right now, worse than any place. They're, they're living not well. Do you want to do a separate deal with Iran, or do you want to get everybody involved in the same deal? Get the uh, Russians, I, get the Chinese. I don't, I don't care which, what kind of a deal. It can be separate or it can be total. But it's one-on-one -on -one talks you all and the Ayatollah? Is, is it one-on-one -on -one talks you and the Ayatollah or you and the president? It doesn't matter to me. You know, here's what I want. Anything that gets you to the result, they cannot have a nuclear weapon. It's not about the straits. You know, a lot of people covered okay. it incorrectly. They never mentioned. They cannot have a nuclear weapon. America has ceded leadership on the global stage. Uh, yes, that's 100%. the way, that's the, 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 uh, the proper it way has, to put it. <laughs> it has retreated from its leader pos leadership position on the global stage in a big way. And so mm -hmm. you're, you're left with, kind of like, is it uh, France, Britain, India, Pakistan, China, um, and Israel, but no one wants to talk about that one. Uh, I've, asked, have, I've asked Israeli generals before. 
what have they said? <laughs> it's pretty funny. They're like, they're like, no, no, no. We, hey, we, no one said that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a hundred percent, and probably soon. Well, North Korea, uh, yeah, less, North Korea has them. Yeah, but last time I checked, they're still having trouble with their reentry vehicle. Um, I mean, they're but they've going got. To have, I think they've got they've got ICBMs though. Yes, but it's the like it's the coming back down part. Like the right. the ICBM goes up and then comes back down. And the last time right, I checked, right. it could have changed since I last looked. But when it comes back down, they're having problems with that part. But that's like it's they're, it's they're going to overcome that. Um, they effectively yeah they have, can't from what I remember they can't they can't aim for shit right they but they effectively have a nuclear weapon yes and yes 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 uh, probably I mean Iran's next yeah and Iran will be next uh, again one of those treaties that kind of was destroyed uh, that was preventing that um, Iran will have a nuclear weapon so yes we will see proliferation more of these smaller countries will have them and the the thing that's messed up is that from their from the North Korean or Iranian perspective. I understand. Like, I, I yeah. get it. Uh, you've got... Well, the one the one I'm worried about, though, is Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah. 100%. They're, they, and they want them bad. They do. Um, and I worry that we will help them get them. Um, because we... If, especially if... Uh, because it's a real easy sell. It may not be an easy sell now, but it's a real easy sell that if... Iran develops a nuclear weapon, or we think Iran develops a nuclear weapon, or think they're super on the path to it, uh, then what's the easiest answer to that is to go ahead and give Saudi Arabia nukes, right? To keep them in check. Well, and the other thing too is, I think it's, the reason it's scary, I think from an American perspective or any world perspective is that you have a leader like MBS mm -hmm. who's, who, would, who would be in control of them effectively. And this person has been quite brazen in the ways in which he's deployed violence in his region. But two, and this is something that's always haunted the Saudi re regime itself, is that it's pretty fragile. Yes. So if you have a government that's fragile and prone to a coup, prone to disintegration, you don't want a government that's prone to disintegration having nuclear weapons. And this is the big fear after this, the fall of the Soviet Union. You had all these weapons lying around everywhere. I mean... It's the reason people forget this quite often. Ukraine was once a nuclear power mm -hmm. and they only gave them up because they made a deal with the US and Russia that if anyone invaded them, they would get immediate support, which is really, I mean, that whole thing is just- It's you know, a whole different conversation. How ironic right? was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different conversation. That's pretty ironic. But suffice to say, you know, you get a disintegrating state with lots of nuclear warheads everywhere, all over it. They could end up into one of the new republics, right? They could end up into one of the new regimes, under the new regime's control. I think that's that's one of the depressing things about this topic, and again, why I think we have a hard time wrapping our heads around it and talking about it. It's because I talk to nuclear experts all the time, um, and everyone says the same thing. It's always, you know, this is going to happen. Eventually, one of these things is going to go off. Eventually, we're going to not be lucky. Um, and what do we do yep. then? You know, once the nuclear seal is broken, what happens? Uh, and we can all speculate, but we don't have good answers. But in all the speculation, it's all bad. Nothing good, you know. Nothing good. And uh, OK, I can let's end this on this note, because I think it's it's and I want your opinion on it. In 2014, I made a bet with my brother 
okay? I'm not known for my optimism, but I made a bet with my brother. I said, I think I'm going to see a nuclear warhead go off in my lifetime, in our lifetime. And he's like, no way. I made a $100 bet with him. He said, you're dead wrong. <laughs> and we recently talked about it. And he's like, that was a bad bet on my part. <laughs> and I was like, I think, I still think I look strong in this bet. My, my, uh, my odds are looking good. I'll never be able to, I'll never be able to claim, I'll either be able to claim on this bet or I won't be able to. But yeah, what do you think? I think you're right. I, th I, I think on a long enough timeline, probably in our lifetime, we will see another nuclear detonation. I don't know what the nature of it will be or who will launch it or what will happen afterwards, but it's just there, especially with the dissolution of the treaties, with these nuclear modernization efforts, with Russia talking about building all these new and scary weapons. I think it'll happen. I do think it's going to happen. I think that's a good bet. I think you made a good bet. I think you're going to get, you'll be a hundred dollars richer in one environment poorer. <laughs> yeah. It'll, I, I'll, it'll be like raining black, like water. You'll go to collect. And I'll be like, see? Yeah. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a race to the bottom, isn't it? Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about this. It's a, it's a subject that I think we all need to think about more. And I am super looking forward to this article. I'm glad that uh, you, you, clear, you clearly had the brilliant idea and, uh, and, and executed. So good. I can't wait to read it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, all right, all right. All right. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I had a, as you know, I had a, I had a mournful week with my, uh, I know nobody cares about this. He's probably listening, but my, uh, my soccer team, Juventus, had a very rough week. But then, uh, anyway, we hired my, my favorite player of all time as our new coach. So, you know, it's been an up and down. It's been a roller coaster for me, Lorenzo. It's, it's, it's good to look forward to, to something, I think. Exactly. Season is over. You know, there's going to be another one very soon. Exactly. Well, shall we talk about cybersecurity? Let's do it. Okay, so this is a very, this is one of your stories, Mr. Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai. So, uh, you know, I've been, I've reported a lot in uh, Ukraine, and there's sort of these similar vibes going on in Belarus in terms of historic protests of Lukashenko, who's sort of similarly this propped up, X or not X is propped up 
Kremlin asset, essentially, who is, has been running the country as almost a dictator for years. And, you know, people are having, uh, they're, they're finally rising up against it. But the opposition, you know, it's, it's, it's a tenuous opposition situation. And something happened that we've seen before in these sorts of, these sorts of politically charged moments in countries where an autocrat is being challenged, where parts of the internet are blacked out. So tell me more. Yeah, it's starting to be some sort of a, an old trick at this point, right? Exactly. There's, a, there's like an election or, uh, you know, a large protest, uh, sort of an uprising, and oppressive governments try to turn off the lights, you know, in this case, turn off the internet. Um, you know, presumably to do bad things behind, clo- behind closed doors without, without us, you know, out in the outside world being able to tell, but it, it doesn't really work. Um, so yeah, what Lukashenko is doing is that he's um, sort of censoring large swaths of the internet, you know, Twitter, um, even uh, news websites like CNN or Al Jazeera. And this is making it very hard for people inside to send out information, but it's still it's still coming out. And, um, and it, it doesn't make you look good. You know, like if you just uh, supposedly won the elections by 80% to 20%, I don't see why you should, uh, you know, you need to do this. So, so yeah, there's a bunch of um, internet watchdogs who are keeping an eye on the, on the situation. And they all agree that this is a government shutdown, essentially. Uh, Lukashenko is saying, Lukashenko and his government are saying that this is actually, that no, they're denying it. It's actually attacks from some mysterious foreign power. And that does just doesn't sound, that just kind of sounds like an excuse, you know? Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. The latest developments are that uh, the internet is still not, um, access, some parts of the internet are still not accessible. Um, I just saw that the the opposition leader uh, just announced that she's fleeing the country, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. So things are not looking very well in Belarus right now. No, and there's been there's been some threat of violence. It's it's there's military on the streets. I mean, this is something like it's almost become part of a running script since, say, Arab Spring. Yeah, I think one of the first no one of the first uh, famous cases of this was uh, Egypt uh, in 2011. You know, completely turning off the internet. Uh, then Venezuela. Um, uh, as censored Twitter, uh, Turkey has also censored Twitter completely in 2014. And yeah, unfortunately, it's something that we're seeing more and more uh, in countries where we st- they, they still have some sort of uh, repressive governments. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it's, it, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. It also seems like things are cooking in that country. And, you know, this, this might not be... <laughs> the end of the news coming out of Belarus for the next little while. Yeah, definitely. All right. So this is another geopolitically motivated story from our friend, Matthew Galt, who is also on the show this week. It's funny how you guys all tricked me into thinking his last name was go. Cause that's how you'd say it. If you were, if you're a Frenchie like myself. But anyways, yeah, okay, we, so we, we we like to keep it. Uh, keep yeah, it you really you guys took me for you took me for a spin on that one. Um, <laughs> the U.S. government spamming random Iranians and Russians with text messages. 
This is also something like the, 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 it seems like the U.S. government's always doing something really, like really bad <laughs> disinfo. Like I remember, like I can't remember the ISIS one I reported on at the time. It was like, like see and look away or something campaign, and it was just so bad. It just didn't work. It's, yeah, it's honestly, classic, if you told like, me that this, if you told me that this was an onion story, I would have believed you. <laughs> but it's actually not an onion story. Um, they actually sort of announced this, that they were going to do this. Like uh, last week, the State Department announced that they were going to, um, they were offering $10 million as rewards for any kind of information on cyber attacks yeah. and uh, disinformation uh, operations targeting the U.S. elections. And uh, a couple of days later, a bunch of people in uh, in Iran uh, and, and Russia and, you know, I'm and we're talking about random people, uh, started receiving text messages um, linking to this uh, this reward program. And most of them were like, uh, what? Like, who is this? And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just like a lot of, you know, a lot of people started posting screenshots on Twitter, wondering whether this was a scam or a joke. Uh, people were confused. And, you know, I guess in some way, this is working because part of the part of this program, I guess, is to let people know that it exists and hope for the best. But it just seems very it just seems a little desperate, honestly. Um, it does. But this is there's there's a there's a, a, a long sort of history of this with the State Department. Yeah, I think it's like a, like a, um, flying down leaflets in uh, war zones and hoping, <clears throat> hoping leaflets, someone like I said, there was it. there was an actual campaign done to counter ISIS propaganda in in Arabic speaking countries right around the time of 2014 when ISIS was really surging and it was it was funny because it was sort of these like memes slash propaganda efforts by the State Department to counteract ISIS it's like ISIS is like expert meme makers they were incredible at it like everyone knows that whereas then it was like it was like boomer level <laughs> boomer level uh meme making on the other hand and it was just like you see someone putting on the the black hood and a, carrying a knife? Not cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't really. And it just like, like it had that vibe to me. I was. It definitely had that vibe. Yeah, the vibes are not great here either. They uh, the State Department even published a poster that looks more like a "Please help me find my lost cat." Uh, yeah, poster exactly. Than else. Exactly. Exactly. There's like a person with a dark hoodie in front of a computer. It just looks very unprofessional. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, if you have $10 million to give out, maybe get a better illustrator? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, hire somebody that could hire somebody who understands this for like $50,000 and they might, you might have done better. Yeah. But we'll see. Maybe someone, you know, maybe someone has seen uh, the tweets or has received a text message and they're involved in one of these operations. Who knows? Um, I guess it's something. You, you know, try. I, I agree. But then think of it this way, you know, you, you understand some of these agencies and how they work. Isn't it a little bit scary that they're soliciting like these, these, these money offers to find information when they're not, I guess, good enough or proficient enough to start detecting them on their own? To me, that sort of screams like maybe there's a problem with the way in which that they're monitoring this, this issue. Yeah, I mean, if if your solution for you know avoiding what happened in 2016, which was a complete failure in uh, you know the seeing what was going to come, uh, 
yeah, this seems like a, as I said, it seems like a very desperate attempt and uh, doesn't really give me a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence in what they're doing. Um, you know, no. this is part of, if this is just a compliment to what they're already doing, then I guess why not? But yeah, I mean, maybe, and, and the thing too, so we know that, you know, we know American agencies are quite good at, at, at tracking hackers and interference, et cetera. And maybe it's just a compliment, but it also screams like this is something very politically motivated, right? Yeah, and, and I just don't, I wouldn't want to be the person or hopefully the team that goes through these tips, you know, like how are, like vet, vetting them, breaking them down, figuring out whether this is true or not, it's going to be a pain, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to take a lot of work and I can imagine that most of them will be trolls or people trying to scam the U.S. government. So yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. All right, so this one's uh, this last one is from our intern, our summer intern, K Dog, Kevin, killing it. Very talented young journalist. And it is, I guess, just an, another example. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't do any of this shit because I, I, this is not something I'm into. These fitness tracking apps, I don't do it. And yet another fitness tracking app was vulnerable. Yeah, this is a really bad one. Like it's bad. Uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, the, it's like this is probably one of the worst hacks of the year. Um, I know it's only August. Wow, and that's it's that's, uh, that's a big that's a big woo shots fired. I know, I know. Maybe it's, that's uh, big coming from old Lozo. It's just like this, you know, this company Garmin has this was really really owned uh, completely. Um, their servers were hit with ransomware. Um, and they had to essentially shut down everything, you know, internal email systems, uh, computers, and also consumer services um, apps like like the fitness tracking service Strava, which a lot of a lot of people use. Mm -hmm. A lot and of people so use was, Strava. Yeah, it's 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 super popular for runners and bikers, and you know, it allows people to share their 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 runs or their. Their bike rides, sort of like see where they rank uh, with other people, and for a week or so, the service was completely down. the The ransomware had completely shut down uh, everything at Garmin, and and yeah, this was just another reminder that um, all this uh, cool stuff that we use to like keep in touch with people, especially now that you know it's very hard to socialize, it depends on some company that may not be taking their security too seriously. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, I think it's sort of this, it illustrates that, that constant thing we're seeing where people are using something, an app that is clearly beneficial and fun and, you know, it's something interactive, but we don't realize that the companies themselves are not taking the security precautions more seriously or pouring the money in to make sure that this kind of shit doesn't happen. Cause to me, I, I get asked all the time. I'm a runner. People are always like, what are your steps? Like, what's your Strava? And I'm like, no, I, I get up on that Google maps. I measure that shit. And then I do the subtractions in my mind, which take oh, a long oh, time. You're an old schooler. <laughs> I'm yeah. an old schooler. Cause I'm also just like, I don't want to touch it because I don't want to be tracked on these apps. I mean, I am, we're both paranoid. I know but I'd rather not yeah, yeah. have that on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a legitimate, um, that's a legitimate position to have. I think it's, it's, you know, most of these apps are fine to use. Uh, obviously you need to know 
what you're doing and what what you're using and and also the the companies need to do better uh you know in this case i mean you know everyone can get hacked um and in this case they they got hacked by um a russian criminal gang known as evil corp like the mr robot uh gang and <laughs> You know, I, I obviously I've. I just love this company. like it's like fiction or sorry like real world that has influenced right? fiction. Yeah, now fictions. Is inter- this the Onion again? I don't know. It's just like but what no, is it's, this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, sometimes it's funny. So and and uh, yeah, the the funny the funny twist on this on this whole story is also that um, Evil Corp was uh, sanctioned by the U.S. government, so the company Garmin was basically had to weigh their options between paying the ransom and potentially um, committing a crime because they were like sending money to a sanction the organization. Well, see, this is the interesting thing when the U.S. does this is that you always get these like other situations like France and Italy. Let's be honest. It's, it's, you know, our it's, it's our country here and they'll pay off terrorists for ransom. And it quietly goes away and it actually works. Like, they, like France did it a few times with ISIS. But American companies, American people don't do it. And, well, I mean, this is the situation they find themselves in. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I would, again, I, would, I wouldn't want I would, to be I don't in envy that, them. Yeah, that I don't situation envy them. either. Um, but, yeah, we don't know We don't know still yet if they ended up paying. They, you know, the services are back up after roughly a week of being off and being out, which is a long time. And, and that is, I think, the, the real problem here is like they were not, you know, getting hacked happens. Uh, how you react to it is um, what really matters. They were not ready for this um, because this is not just um, tracking, you know, uh, fitness tracking services. They were providing GPS location services also to aviation companies, airplanes. Like that's serious stuff. And um if it all depends on, you know, not getting hacked, then you're not doing your job. Yeah. Well, on that note, that cheerful note, stop, everyone stop using fitness apps. <laughs> or use them and just be careful, you know, maybe start your, yeah, no, I know. maybe start tracking when you get to the park instead of uh, right outside of your house. Or maybe we should, we should, we should be standardizing, uh, we should be getting the government to standardize the levels to which apps have to secure their code and making make it less, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a... Less, less vulnerable. There's a lot of solutions. There has been, there's been, there's been legislative pushes for stuff like that in the past. Yeah, we'll see. This, this is going to be an interesting case when, because uh, Gar- Garmin is a public company, they'll have to um, tell tell us more about this case eventually. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I feel, I feel for Garmin. This is a, that sucks. Yeah, especially like, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, responding to something like this when your whole team is working remotely it's it's not the ideal situation so no it's really not yeah. okay well on to the next hack we'll see what we'll see what the remainder of 2020 has to offer yeah, i still think this is gonna Correct. come down so, as one you, of the worst you, ones if you not call, the worst but you call the shot i mean you call the shot all right i'm just really see. hoping that those uh those you know those 10 million dollars are gonna convince some some russian hacker to turn on the government and prevent the next uh Hack and leak, but we'll, well see. The, th- the thing I'm always I'm always worried about is like what what are they going to do to hack entities in Ukraine surrounding Biden? There's already been a threat of that, mm. and you're like that would just stir the pot in this country. 
that happens. Yeah. Well, so we'll see. It's going to be, we're not like 2020 is not through. I remember thinking January 2nd or 3rd covering Suleimani's death or assassination via drone strike. I remember thinking to myself, wow, it's so crazy that 2020 started with the, the craziest news story of 2020. Yeah, that was very on brand for 2020. So yeah, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be making predictions on what's worse on August 11th. Yeah, it's like, so. yeah, just like, just, just, just like 2020. Like it's like, like that mean, like hold, hold, hold my drink. Yeah, let's just sit down and keep our eyes open. Exactly. All right. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, Ben. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.